few months, so it's been quite a while. I thought it would be a good change of pace to hit the Psalms. And so um, I, I really love just, uh, when I read the Bible, I really love taking breaks and, and, and just going to the Psalms and maybe sometimes Proverbs. Um, these books of poetry are not just, uh, they're not just like, you know, we just know them as books of the Bible, but these were songs that were sung back then when David, he had the tabernacle and he had all of these musicians and people that, and it was like, it was, somebody drew a picture, I think, of what the tabernacle of David looked like. And it was amazing. It was just like, it was just like an amphitheater of just musicians and singers and people just out there just like worshiping the Lord, just, you know, just continually, right? I mean, these were the songs that they were sung. These were the songs that David wrote or, or other people wrote. Um, to worship the Lord, and, and it contains so much truth, and it contains uh, so many uh, things um, for us to just live our lives by. And so I, wa- I thought that we would uh, touch up on Psalms for a few weeks until maybe we move on to a different book. But I do have a have a heart to preach ex- expositorily, like meaning like I wanted to go through a book. I don't want to do topical sermons, but I feel like topical sermons. I just people uh, can easily just like you know just pick choose and pick topics, but we want to follow the Word of God. We want to be led by the Word of God, and so I'm uh, praying right now about what to uh, to what book to kind of start. A sh- maybe a short book before I start my sab- our sabbatical in December. We're going to be going on a, a short sabbatical the month of de- December through February, and so we're going to um, be taking a little break. But until then, I felt like uh, I wanted to choose a short book. But let's uh, hit up these psalms. So this psalm, you know. Uh, it is a psalm that David wrote. David wrote many of the psalms. Like the mass majority of the songs, psalms are written by David. And, uh, you know, this psalm, like a lot of his other psalms, starts out with a lot of anxiety. It starts out with him, like, like, like you know, feeling anxious, you know, feeling distressed. And we don't know when in the life that David wrote this psalm. We don't know at what point in David's life that this psalm was written or that he is referring to. But we know that David lived a life that was really like up and down. He had like like great moments, and then he had moments where like he really was in distress. And he writes about these uh, agonizing times where his enemies are breathing down his necks, and it feels like his bones are being crushed. And like, you know, there's so many like uh, uh, he uses such uh, great metaphors and and he and symbolisms to like depict how he felt in these moments of distress. We know that David was anointed king as a young child. You know, he was really young when he was actually anointed king by Samuel, but it took a long time for him to actually become king. And within that time, we see him, you know, fight Goliath, and, we, and, then, and then David, and then Saul gets really jealous. Like Saul, you know, he gets, the, the Bible says that, you know, the spirit, like an evil spirit entered Saul, and he just got really crazy and demonic, and he would, like, you know, he's like, play for me a song, David. And then David would play a song, and he would chuck a spear at him. He's like, ah, you know, like, and he had to run, you know, he, he really ran for his life. You know, and Saul and, and his army was actually going after David and wanting to kill him and wanting to destroy him. Um, this evil spirit was trying to like snuff out David. And so he lived, he was hiding in caves and he was living out on the run. He actually lived with the Philistines for a while because he was like, felt like you know, Saul was going to come and, and, and kill him. And so he lived this, this life where, you know, like, and after he becomes king, he lives a life where, of just war and battle. You know, and at, even at the end, near the end of his life, his son, his very own son, Absalom, um, uh, you know, kind of rejects him and wants to kill him. And he has to, has to run for his life again. And so we don't know exactly when in this, you know, life of David that um, he actually writes this psalm, but we know that is referring to a very tumultuous 
moment in his life, a very difficult moment, when, when, when it felt like God wasn't with him. He felt like God was not hearing him. You know, and, and God was silent. When, when he would cry out to the Lord, the, the Lord was silent. People were trying to destroy him. What he heard from the Lord was silence. You know, he feels abandoned by God. He feels like God doesn't hear him. He feels all he hears. He doesn't see God move in his life. And so in this moment of distress, he writes the song. And, he, and it says that he feels like he's going to die. You know, I feel like I'm going to die. And my sermon today, the title is, When God is Silent. What do we do when, when our lives and the things around us are starting to just, just get really crazy? You know how life can get at times. And, and what do we do when, when God is silent through these seasons? We have to know that when we follow God, we will. It's not like we might, but we will have seasons in our lives when God is silent. When he doesn't seem to respond. When he doesn't seem to, to speak to us. We don't hear him. And he's not answering our prayers. Charles Spurgeon, he's one of the, the great theologians. Um, he, talks, he talks about Psalm 13. And there's a quote that says, It was language of that much tired, tried man of God, and it's intended to express the feelings of the people of God in those ever-returning trials which beset them. If the reader has never yet found occasion to use the language of this brief ode, he will do so ere long if he be a man after the Lord's own heart. He's basically saying, like, this, this song, right, is written by a man who has been tested and tried by the Lord. And if, like, if you're reading this and you have not, like, had to use this kind of language in your life, Spurgeon says, you will if you really are a man that's running after the heart of God. Because God never said that, that, that you know, our lives would be easy and pleasant and, you know, that, but he said, pick up our cross, right, and, and, and carry it daily. So when you go through seasons when God is silent, and when he feels far, when he feels distant, you might be going through that season because you're actually doing what you're supposed to do. It's not because you're immature or you're not good enough. It happens to the best of us. And it happened to one of the best. David you know, is considered one of the, the mightiest men of God. A man after God's own heart would have seasons like this. But it's really hard when God is silent, you know, when, when, when you don't, when you cry out to God and He doesn't respond back. You know, like, you know, have you ever called somebody and, and they don't pick up the phone and then and you text them and they're not responding and, you know, you feel the angst that you have? I remember when I first got married, and this is like around the first, like, couple of months that we were married, and then I remember Mina took the car and went somewhere and then I called her and she didn't pick up her phone. I texted her, and she didn't respond. It was kind of getting late, and she was supposed to be home at a certain time, and then she wasn't back, and then I called her again. I don't know what she was doing, but and then she still didn't pick up her phone, and I was just getting like kind of freaked out. I was like, oh, maybe she got in a car accident. And at one point, I was thinking like, oh, maybe she left me. <laughs> maybe she figured out who I was, and then she maybe, maybe, you know, like all these things run through your head. And, and, and when, when you cry out to God, and you've been getting an answer from God, and you, there's an expectation in your heart, that God will respond, and He doesn't. It brings us into this place where we feel very anxious. So how are we to respond when God is silent? When situations around us are horrible, when circumstances are all messed up, 
then God is silent. He feels far. He's not responding. How are we to respond? And we can learn how David responds to God's silence in the psalm. And then I would break this psalm into three parts. The first two verses, I would call it the wallowing in anxiety. Right? There's this wallowing that David does in his anxiety. And then part two, I would call it crying out in prayer. And then part three, I would call it singing in faith. And the first part is talking about wallowing anxiety. He cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies exalt over me? When God is silent, it's really easy to fall into the place of anxiety and distress that David finds himself in. How long? How He says how long? Three. He says it four times in just the first two verses of the psalm. He has this intense desire to be rescued. He has this intense desire to be saved. To be, to be delivered. And, and this, this desire has turned into impatience. This desire for rescue has turned into anxiety. And we have desires in our hearts, right? We have desires in our hearts all the time. You know, God places the desires in our hearts. If you're a man, I'm not talking about just like the foolish people just like doing whatever in their life. I'm talking about men and women of God that are going after the things of God. Who places the desires in our hearts? God places those desires in our hearts. But then when those desires are not met, it's really easy for us for that desire to turn into impatience. Where that desire in our hearts starts to slowly become anxiety. And, and, and we're like, oh God, when? How long do I have to wait, God? Right? You know, like Spurgeon calls this the how long song or the howling song. Because right? it just sounds like it's howling. How long? How long? But it's easy for, for this desire the good the righteous desires that God places in our hearts for that to be to to, to like like degenerate like to to digress and, and turn into anxiety and impatience and and especially when these seasons come it feels so long you know like when we're waiting on the Lord for an answer prayer when we when we're crying out to God and he's silent this season in our lives feels so long right? you know like you know like when you when I I mean, sometimes when I have one of my boring sermons and you guys look at the clock and then and then you listen to me some more and you look at the clock again you're like that's it it's only been ten minutes <laughs> you know like like when you're going through the the trials of your life when you're going through those agonizing moments and when God is silent it feels so long right and then the good times like just fly by and when you're like with your friends. And when you're on vacation, it's like, bam! Like, you're in Phuket, and you're like, bam, it's already Friday, I gotta go home, right? But when you're waiting on the Lord for, like, an answer prayer, when you're waiting for, like, a, a wife or a husband, or when you've been crying for a prayer, when you've been praying for your, your, your friend's salvation or your family member's salvation, and it's been just years, and it just feels like, oh, when, how long is it gonna take? It feels so long. And the truth is, when we cry out to God, and God is silent, it's really easy for us to start to look at God differently. It's really easy to look at his character differently. This is man. This is David, a man after God's own heart. God literally, he's a man after my own heart, right? He's a righteous man to a certain degree, right? He's considered one of the greatest men in the history of the Jewish people. But even him, he starts to see God differently. His understanding of God starts to get skewed when he starts to cry out, how long? When you're waiting on the Lord. 
And when it's been years, when it's been maybe a decade, all of a sudden the way that you see God and the way that you understand God starts to change, starts to get muddled. It starts to get misaligned. His perception of God gets misaligned. And he's like, God, why are you doing this to me? How long must I wait? How long will you forget me forever? You know, like, he's asking God, how long is he going to forget? As if God could forget anything, right? Can God forget anything? No, can God forget you? No, there's no way. There's no way that God can ever forget us and to forget us forever. There, there is no way that God can forget. And yet he accuses God of like, dude, are you going to forget me forever, God? Because I'm right here, dude. What's going on, God? And, and, and his, his, his demeanor and his perception and his understanding of God starts to get skewed. And when God is silent, it's really easy for the best of us to fall into the wrong thinking that we see here. It's easy for us to have a wrong perspective of God. And we, some of the things that we do is we blame God, like David's doing. It's like, how long will you forget me? We feel like God is doing this to us. We feel like our circumstances could be made better if God would just do what he's supposed to do, right? We look to God and we feel like God is causing all these things to happen to us and we call out to him and there is no answer. So now we start blaming him for the situations in our lives. God, why is this happening to me? God, why are you doing this to me? God, how long do I have to wait before this happens in my life? And we forget that God disciplines the ones he loves. God disciplines the ones He loves. God sometimes is silent to discipline us. The trials in our lives are there for our benefit. Sometimes He's silent with us so that we trust in Him more. But very quickly we start to, to look at God in a way where, God, this is your fault. God, why? what's up here? Why are you doing this to me? Right? We play the victim card. Like, I'm the victim here, God. And so we start to we start to doubt God's character. We start to blame Him. And another thing we do is, when God is silent, sometimes we feel like God hates us. We feel like God wants to punish us for something we did wrong. We start thinking about our faults. We did something to make God mad. How long will you hide your face from me? There are seasons where God will hide His face from us, but it's because you know, He wants to... to mature us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to for us to cry out to Him. But it's never out of hatred. or He, he doesn't hide His face from me because He's annoyed at you. I do that. Like when, when Nathan gets annoying, I'd be like, I don't want to look at you right now. <laughs> I'll close the door and I'll lock it. And he'd be like, I don't want to see you right now, dude. Sometimes when you put those characteristics and attributes on God. We think that God's annoyed at us. We think God is like, He's angry with us. We think He, he doesn't like us anymore. And we start to like look at the faults in our life. What did I do to, 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 to make God angry? What did I do to, to upset Him? We have to understand that God's love for us is not, doesn't change based on how we live our lives or what we do, right? And another thing we do is when God is silent, we can fall into taking counsel from our soul. David says, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? We start to try to solve the problems in our hearts with our own thinking and our own understanding. 
We try to figure things out on our own. We create devices and things that will counsel our, our soul for ourselves to no avail. It's not going to fix anything. And start focusing on the issue. We start dwelling on the issue. And we start to like, you know, just get stuck in it. And then we find ourselves, we're just all filled with anxiety and worry. The psalmist realizes that wallowing in our own soulish, our own, our, our own understanding will lead to, to just anguish. It's like, how long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I remember recently something happened. I'm not going to go too much into the detail, but something happened, and I remember I kind of got shook. I was like, oh, what's going on? Right? And I, I just, I, there was an anxiety kind of gripped my heart. And, and I start to like, you know, I remember over the course of the weekend, I start to like think of all these things. I would stay up late at night. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. I start to like think of all these things in my head. It's like, okay, I can solve this problem by doing this. I can do it by doing that. And I can, I can do this. I can do that. I, 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 I. And at the end of the day, I would wake up and be like, same worry, same Anxiety, same fear would still be gripping my heart. That's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to solve this, this, this worry and this thing in my heart by adding more worry and anxiety into it. I'm just like wallowing in this thing. I'm like, oh come on, I can fix it. I can do this. I can some some way. I'm gonna be able to change this and change like with the situation, change the hearts of the people. Whatever I can do, and I'm gonna be able to fix this. And at the end of the day, I was, I was like spent. I remember at the end, I was just like, dude, I. I felt like giving up. So many times we do that. When, when, when things in our heart, we will, like anxiety will grip our heart, and instead of giving it on to the Lord, we just start to wallow in it. And that's kind of what David was doing. He said, how long, God? How long? How long will you be silent? How long will you let my enemies, you know, like, defeat me? And how long must I take counsel in my soul and just feel the sorrow and grief in my heart, you know? He's just wallowing. I want to let you know that we're really bad at comforting our souls. <clears throat> we're not good at it. When we try to comfort our own soul, it's just like, like it's like us, you know, like, like trying to fix a problem, and we have all the wrong parts. Because the one that created our soul is the one that's meant to comfort our soul. Right? There's only one person that can truly comfort our soul. The world will say there's things that can comfort our soul. <clears throat> there's a lot of help. Self-help stuff. There's a lot of, you know, like, you know, different kind of religions and different kind of mindset and, you know, like yoga. I don't know, whatever. There's all these different things, right? Like, like, you know, like, like, feel happy and, and do drugs and all these different things that are out there to, to make you feel, like, take these pills and it'll make you feel happy. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, re- nothing really is able to fix that part of your soul because it was meant to be fixed by the one that created our soul. We really are bad at comforting our souls. And Spurgeon says that if we are true followers of God, if we are true followers of Jesus, we will all have found ourselves in this kind of predicament at one point in our lives. And if you haven't, you will find yourself. If you're a real, if you're a real man or woman of God that's going after God, there will be seasons like this in your life. where we feel like we're at the end of our rope, when we feel like God doesn't hear us, God is not working in our lives, we feel alone, we feel abandoned, we feel hopeless, we feel like everybody's against us, we feel like everybody's talking about us. There's so many times where we feel this way. Well, Spurgeon and, and David is saying like, hey, 
if you're really following the, 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 the voice of the Lord, if you're following God, you will go through seasons like this. So what does the psalmist do and what are we to do? He goes into verse 3. He, he cries out in prayer. Consider, my answer, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. The consider and answer me, O Lord. He cries out to God in prayer. <clears throat> we see him cry out to God for help. And we will all find ourselves in these circumstances like David finds himself. And we'll be in situations where God's not talking to us. God feels like he's silent. That the world around us, it seems like it's kind of crumbling and everything is not going the way that we're supposed to. And we cry out to God and He's not answering. And, and, and all of these things will happen in our life. But what's going to set us apart from everyone else, what set David apart from, from all the other people that, you know, that, 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 that would be in this kind of a situation is that David cried out in prayer. He cried out in prayer. He's like, consider and answer me, O Lord. And we have to really look at this prayer. David here is being real with God. Like, Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's like, God, answer me because I feel like I'm going to die. David is being real honest with God. He's being real vulnerable with him. He's like, I feel like I'm going to die. My enemies are going to have a party over my death. That's what he says, tells God. And David prays to God and he has no pretense. He's not trying to sound all righteous and holy before God. He's like, dude, I'm going to die, God. I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like all my enemies are going to circle around me and they're going to kill me and then they're going to celebrate my death. That's how I feel, God. He's just laying it all out. I'm going to die, God, if you don't help me. That's what he sounds like. Have you ever been really honest and vulnerable before God in prayer? Or do you pray like, O most holy and magnificent God of the universe, we come before you today. But have you ever felt like really bad and prayed to God like, God, I feel real crappy today. I feel like everybody's against me. I feel really bad. I feel like, like I just want to crawl up into a ball and die. I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. I need your help. A while ago, I went through a pretty tough season in my life. I felt like I was depressed. I'm sanguine, so it's hard for me to like realize when I'm depressed. You know, I, I felt like I was depressed through the season. There's all these crazy things that are happening in church. I felt really unqualified to lead. I felt discouraged. I remember just wanting to quit ministry. But I also had this fear, like, what would I do if I quit ministry? Like, where would I go from here? I felt like just like this, just this anxiety and fear and just all these things in my heart. And it was Sunday night, and I was supposed to have written my sermon. I, I was like barely even started. And I remember, you know, like the kids and Nina had gone to sleep, and I remember laying down in the other room, and I just remember like feeling so bad. I just felt so bad, and I just cried to God. I was like, God crappy today, but I didn't use the word crappy. I used a different word. And I was like, I feel real bad. I don't know what to do. I really don't. I remember just like laying it out. Like I just, I poured out all of my insecurities. I was like, I 
feel like disqualified. I feel like everybody's judging me. And I just like let, it was like this cathartic moment where I just like poured out my heart to God. And then you know what God said, go to sleep. Go to sleep. I went to sleep. And I woke up that morning. And I just felt so much grace. I just remember there was like this moment of catharsis where I was just like, oh, like it was just I just I I told everything to God and He just He showed me His grace. And I remember that morning I just had a fresh revelation. I just wrote my sermon. It took me like two hours. I just knocked it out and it was a pretty good sermon. I preached it on Sunday. Let me tell you, God doesn't care about your eloquence or your grammar or how many big words you use when you pray. He cares about your heart. And when you pray, you've got to be able to pour out your heart to him. Be honest with him. Be vulnerable with God. And how, Like David here is like, God, I feel like I'm going to die. Like, how long do I have to wait, God? Because right now, I feel like, like, like I'm, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death here. In the midst of David's situation, God is silent. David's about to give up, but he cries out to God, and he is honest. He is vulnerable before the Lord. He's broken before the Lord. A good friend of mine recently told me, you're allowed to be a mess. And David here was a mess. And God actually loves our messes. Right? He actually loves it when we're broken before him. And, and I want to look at is what David actually prays. This is amazing. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He prays to God to light up his eyes. Is he talking about his physical eyes? Does he want him to light up his physical eyes? No, he's talking about the, the heart, the, the eyes of his heart. What Paul talks about in Ephesians, when he takes like, that I pray that, that he will be enlightened in the, the eyes of our hearts, right? He, that's what Paul prays. This is what, what David is talking about. He's like, light up my eyes. He doesn't say like, make my eyes like, you know, better. He's saying that, like the eyes of my heart light, shed light into the eyes of my heart. Because throughout, what's, throughout all of this the season of waiting on the Lord and not hearing from the Lord, David knows that his, his understanding of God has been darkened. The light of his heart has been darkened. There's all these little things that's been like crusting up in the, in the lens of his heart. And he's saying, light it up, God. I need you to give me a fresh perspective. I need you to help me to see my, my situation better because what I see right now is me getting defeated and me dying and my, my enemies celebrating over me. What I see right now is, is you not doing what I, what I want you to do, but I need you to, to clear up and shed light, shed light into that darkness that's in my heart. He's saying light up my heart because he knows that the situation has caused his heart to be darkened. And he knows that he's not perceiving correctly. What David is praying for is not a change in his situation necessarily, but he's praying for a change in his perception of God. For God to light up his, up his perception, for him to see God correctly, for him to see his circumstances correctly, and for him to see his enemies correctly. And for many of us, when we are in the thick of it, when we're in these trials in our lives, and we're like, oh God, this is really hard. This is really hard. And you know, you guys, have, a lot of you guys have been in it. You guys are like, this is hard, God. I'm, I'm depressed. Or like, this guy is just treating me like crap, and I don't know what to do. And you're in it, and you're just trying to stand. What you need more than a change in your circumstances is a change in your heart. For God to shed his light upon your heart. 
the lies, eyes of your heart so that you can perceive and you can see things differently. You can see your situation. You can see God differently. God isn't silent. He loves me. God isn't silent. He's, he's for me. He's waiting on me. And this is what David prays. He's like, light up my eyes. Shine your light into my eyes. And David, as he cries out this prayer, we see the shift in the psalm. There's like this, there's like this tangible shift that happens in this song. It's like, wallow, 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 how long, how long, how long, God, how long? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? But God, hear me and answer me, God. Right? Change, like shed your light into my heart. Because if you don't, then I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going to die. But then there's a, right after this, there's a shift. There's a shift in this song. There's a shift in, 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 the, in the, the whole atmosphere of this song. And David moves to singing in faith. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. First thing to take notice here is that David's situation has not changed. He doesn't say, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, and then you came and then you answered my call and you destroyed my enemies, and now I trust in your steadfast love and I rejoice in your salvation. No, he doesn't say that. Nothing has changed in David's circumstances. His enemies are still there. His situation is still there. God is still silent here. Everything has changed. Everything has changed in, God, in David's heart. There's a lot of psalms that start and finish like this by David. Psalm 6 is one of them. I used to read Psalm 6 when I used to like go through these like agonizing seasons in my life. And he's like, like he's in anguish through most of the psalm. It says, all night I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. That's crazy. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. And in the most of these Psalms, David's situation, they don't change. But what changes is David's heart. His heart changes. And he, he's expressing this transformation in his heart that sees things completely differently. He will see things as like, what was me? What was me? What was me? I pray unto God. And he is victorious. He loves me. He's good to me. His steadfast love endures forever. His perspective changes. The eyes of his heart are enlightened. And he goes from weeping to rejoicing. His situation is the same, but everything has changed because of the transformation in his heart. And that's why that's what prayer brings to our circumstances. When we pray, we leave it to God and we put our faith in Him and we allow our faith to drive out the anxiety, to drive out the fear, to drive out all of those things, the worries and the things that are just like clinging to our heart. We allow our faith in God to remove those from our hearts. All the hopelessness. All the anxiety. 
When we pray correctly, we're able to kill anxiety and fear because we pray in faith, knowing that God will do what is best for us. We stand on Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We put our faith in him and not the things that he will do for us. You guys hear that? We have to learn to put our faith in him and not the answer to the prayers that we expect from him. Knowing that he is greater than anything that can stand against us. So many times we pray, and I do this a lot, we pray and then we wallow in the anxiety of waiting for what we prayed for to happen. How many prays like, pray like that? I, Mina's not like that. Mina's like, I prayed, and it was like, I put my faith in it. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm a half, glass half empty kind of guy, right? So I'll pray and then I'll be like, God, I put my faith in you, but can it happen a little sooner? You know, like, you're like, can it happen a little quicker? And like, how is it going to happen? So there's times where I, 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 I pray, but that anxiety won't go away because I haven't put my, my trust in the Lord. A lot of times I put my trust in the answer that God's going to give me. We put our trust in the change or the, the change in our circumstances that we're asking for. God, if you give me this change in my circumstances, I'm going to be able to have faith in you. But God never designed faith to work that way. God designed that we put our faith in God and we allow our faith to remove those things in our hearts, the like anxiety and fear, because we put our hope and trust in Him. That's how faith works. I get it twisted sometimes. I'm like, God, if you do this for me, and if this happens, oh, I'll feel so good. I'll feel so relieved. But then until that happens, I'm like anxious, anxious, anxious. We don't depend on the outcome. We depend on the one that brings the outcome. We don't depend on being delivered. We depend on the deliverer. And he is able to break off the anxiety. He's able to break off the worry, the fear, the hopelessness that comes when we're waiting on the Lord and He is silent. When we're feeling how long, how long we're able to stand on how great He is. I want to close with what David stands on as he's waiting on the Lord. As his situ- as this psalm shifts and, and switches to this place of of, of praying and crying and, and worshiping in faith. These are the things that he stands in. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. We have to stand on God's amazing love for us. When he is silent, we have to know that even though he is silent, he loves us and is for us. We, may, he, we, may, we, we have to believe that the reason why he is silent might actually be because he loves us so much. We might be asking for something that God knows that is not for us right now. Because He loves you. And He wants what's best for you. He might be silent. He might be hiding His face from you because He's disciplining you out of love for you. He disciplines the ones that He loves. He's disciplining you so that you would actually have a greater heart for Him. That you would love Him more. And that you would be in a deeper relationship with Him. Not because He hates you. He's mad at you. He's annoyed with you. God will never be annoyed with you. You know, it says love is patient, right? You know who's the most patient person in the world? God. He's more patient than any man 
you will ever meet. I met some patient man. Right? And I'll be like, man, I can't believe you're that patient, dude. But God is more patient. He's more gracious. He's more loving than any man we can find on this earth. We can never lose sight of his love because when God is silent, when it seems like he's not moving, when he seems like he's ignoring you, his love endures forever. David says this constantly in his stuff. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. Even when he's being chased down by Saul, he's sleeping in a cave, he's going hungry, he has to steal bread because he's so hungry, he has to go and, and, and live with these pagans because Saul's out to kill him. He said, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures. He never forgets the love of, that God has for him. We have to stand on his love. That even though our situations may not be ideal, our situations may seem a little bit like crazy at times, that his love endures forever. His love is real to us. He loves us despite what's happening in our lives. And He is for us. And then He says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. We stand on the salvation that we have in the Lord. When the circumstances, when the circumstances of this world start to overwhelm us, we have to look at the one thing that God speaks over us. is the salvation, the cross the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that has to be our plumb line. We can't allow the world and the situations of the world to dictate how we look and to which direction that we look. We have to look to Jesus Christ. Christ crucified. He is our Lord. He is our salvation. He is the one that delivered us from the eternity of death. It's the cross. And that day when God, the Father, turned his face from Jesus his only son, so that we would be able to find life in him. You know, we talked about God hiding his face from us. Well, God literally hid his face from Jesus. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the same way, that brought about salvation for us, that, that brought us out of death and into life. And that's what we have to stand on. We stand on the gospel. We stand on the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And then next he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We stand in worship. We sing to our God in praise and thanksgiving for who he is, for what he has done for us. We stand on the testimony that God has written in our lives. Praise and thanksgiving. You know, we think that praise and thanksgiving is, is for God. Like God's up there and we praise and we give him thanksgiving. And God's up there like, oh, give me your praise. Give me your thanksgiving. I need your praise. I need your thanksgiving. No, praise and thanksgiving is not necessarily for God. Praise and thanksgiving is for us. Because when we are able to praise and give thanks, it shifts our heart into a position of gratitude and receiving from the Lord. God doesn't need our praise. He's perfect the way he is. He's not, like, insecure like us. He's just like, oh, I haven't felt praised lately. Nobody has applauded me lately. I feel a little blue. No. God is like, dude, I am God. I am the great I am. I don't need none of you guys to really praise me. But I give you, I, I, I say praise me because, you know what? When you praise me, my heart connects to your heart. And then you start to be like me. And you start to love me. And, and then I, I'm able to now, like, you know, like, for you to really understand and realize how much I truly love you out of this praise and thanksgiving. And we stand on that. We stand on 
the, the amazing things that God has done in our lives. And I know for many of you guys, God has done amazing things in your life. We stand on those testimonies. When God is silent, when you pray and God's not answering, you're like, you don't be like, God, why are you doing this to me? You're like, God, you're God and you, you're great. And you have dealt bountifully with me. You have blessed me in ways that I can't even imagine. And you start to go and start counting. You start living a life of thanksgiving. And that your circumstances might not have changed. God might not have answered your prayer, but your heart position will have changed. And lastly, David says, because he has dealt bountifully with me. David is thinking back at the times that God has been there for him, all the times that he has blessed him and has shown him favor and grace upon him. And what David is doing is standing on God's timing. And I think we have to stand on God's timing. We have to know that all the times that God had blessed us, He has done it. And all the things that He's given us and all the way, the amazing ways that He's blessed us, He's done it in His timing. And His timing is always right. How many know that God's timing is perfect? We have to learn to trust in God's timing. But so many times we get impatient with God because we think that we know better, the better timing of what the, the time that in which God is supposed to bless us. That God, you might think that's the better time, but I think I think it's sooner than later, God. Like the the God of the universe, the all-knowing one, Alpha and the Omega, who was it? Who ne- always was and always and never wasn't? Who created the universe and every little aspect and detail of this universe? Right? You say we're telling him, God, I think I think you're off on your timing. The one that created time and space. We feel like, God, I think you're supposed to be a little earlier with that. I think, you know, when you're doing music, it's like, oh, God, I think you're off tempo, God. But we have to know that God's timing is perfect. That he knows what's best. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are greater. His ways are higher than ours. And we have to be able to trust in his timing. When God is silent, that is the one thing that is the hardest to do. is to trust in His timing. But if you really know God, and if you start to understand who He is, you start to realize, you, 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 should, you should realize that God's timing is better than anything that you can do for yourself. And when you wait upon God's timing, you're going to realize how amazing God is. So many times we, we take it upon ourselves to, to do things and move God along in certain areas. And you know what? It always ends up with, like, it's always like, okay, but it's never really what God had intended for us in his timing. But David, he's saying, because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's like, all those times that he's dealt bountifully with me. He cried, he starts out by saying, how long, God, how long? How long, how long? How long do I have to wait here, God, how long? And then he ends with, because he's dealt bountifully with me. I must sing to him because I know that his timing is perfect. I know that, that what he has for me is perfect. There'll be times in our lives where God is silent and that season will seem long. Some of you guys are in the midst of this waiting. Some of you guys have been crying out to God for certain things in your life and you've been waiting and he's been silent. And that's that season may seem long and and we may never know why God is silent. It might be because He wants something that's that, that that we want something that's not right for us right now. It might be 
him wanting to discipline us. It might just be that, that he just is silent just because he's silent. We have to know that God is God. He's going to do what he wants to do. Right? God, throughout all of this, God gives us a way to find peace and rest in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our waiting. It's to pray to him in faith, knowing that he is for us, that he knows what is best for us. And we lay our burdens at his feet and we find rest and comfort in his love his salvation, his goodness. We give him praise and thanksgiving knowing that his timing is perfect. That he knows exactly when he is to pour out his blessing upon us. And he knows exactly when he's going to answer us. Now, faith is hard because it's faith. If we knew when everything was supposed to happen, it'd be so easy. You know what? If we knew everything that would happen, we would probably mess it up. I'd, I'd probably mess it up. But, but God wants us to be dependent on Him. He wants us to live a life where we're constantly depending on Him for everything that comes from, from Him. And in that moment, He wants us to not be anxious like, God, when is it going to come? God, when is it going to come, God? He wants us to be like, God, your love endures forever. God, your love is perfect. Your timing is perfect. God, my, my soul is at rest. My soul is at peace because I put my faith in you and I know that you will answer me when I call. You will answer me when I cry to you. Let's all stand up and let's close in prayer.